Hey, this is Eastlake BBA, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you. We hope this builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Luis, alcoholic. I was not our scheduled speaker tonight, but I am stepping up because California is being slammed by storms, and, um, you know, uh, I just live a couple miles, and so it's easier for me to get here than for some. And so tonight we are picking up where uh, we left off from last week. We are in chapter three, more about alcoholism. And uh, we are starting with paragraph three. Before I do that, we're going to start with the set aside prayer found in the Big Book Awakening book page. uh, What is that? 20. I'm not sure. 20 something. Uh, God, please enable me to set aside everything I think I know for an open mind and a new experience. Help me see the truth about my mental obsession before I start to drink. Um, It says, we are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither uh, Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind, like other men. And that's, you know, as I was sitting there during meditation, the word hard came to me. It was hard things, hard words, hard change. What we're talking about tonight requires a hard change. There are some things in our life that are an easy change, but to recover from alcoholism is a hard change. And Tonight we're about to look at some hard things or some hard words that some of us, especially when we first get here, we don't want to hear it. But the good news is that, you know, that we are surrounded by men and women who have already gone through this journey, who, um, who are ready and prepared to, to have a, a hard conversation with you with some hard truth from a place of love and compassion because we've been through it as well. And so um, I'll keep reading. It says, we have tried every imaginable remedy. And in some instances, there had been a brief recovery followed always by a still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with this alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of the alcoholic. And you know, I remember, you know, I started drinking at 18 and I hit bottom at 39. And so for 21 years, you know, I was basically trying to drink like a normal person. This is what my family was asking of me. This is what my friends were asking me. No one was really saying quit because we, we grew up in a culture that is, drinking is the norm. And we also grow up in a country where full responsibility from manufacturers is thrown on the user. It's your responsibility to figure it out. The product isn't wrong. It's user error, right? It's, this, is, this, is, this is how it is. And uh, for, for right or wrong, this is how it is. And so um, if you're one of us, you're trying to figure it out. And I got here because I, I just got tired of, of being tired. 
I got tired of being sick from, I was a blackout drinker. And so, um, let me keep going. It says, physicians were, okay, no. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. Despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they are in this class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves the exception to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. You know, my first sponsee, his family was basically saying to him, you cannot be an alcoholic. Like, you got to figure it out. And um, that's, that's, this is a disease, and it's like saying to a cancer patient, you cannot, you can't have cancer. You got to figure it out. And um, I'll keep going before I share more. If anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. Man, I, I really tried to drink like my younger brother. You know, I probably saw him five times, like buzzed in a real happy place, but never in a messed up way, the way it was regular for me. Um, here are some of the methods we have tried. And this is like a checklist, right? So drinking beer only, check, I did that. Limiting the number of drinks always, never drinking alone. Now, trying to limit the number of drinks, not always successful. Drinking, be, uh, sorry, drinking alone, that's how it was towards the end for me. Never drinking in the morning, I, I wasn't a morning drinker. Drinking only at home, that's how it was at the end for me. Uh, never having it in the house, never tried that because Alcohol was my master. Uh, never drinking during business hours. Nope. Drinking only at parties. Uh, that's how I started. Uh, you know, social drinker. Switching from scotch to brandy for me it was wine. Did that drinking only natural wines. Agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job. I wasn't that type, but one of our brothers was that type, uh, and he's not with us anymore. Taking a trip not taking a trip, swearing off forever. Um, definitely swearing off for a long period of time. I just don't know why I ever picked up again. Obviously, I know now, but at the time I didn't. With and without solemn oath. Taking more uh, physical exercise, tried that. Then I was too hungover to just keep going. Uh, reading inspirational books. Oh, I, I have a ton of books. Going to health farms and sanitariums, not for me. Accepting voluntarily commitment to asylums. Not for me, but I have some people who, have, who I have sponsored. That was them. We could increase the list and add infinitum. We do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but, we can quickly di but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Yeah, you know, um, just recently I had a conversation with someone, and I asked them, so have you, are you an alcoholic or are you, you know, do you have a drink problem? And uh, they're currently moderating. They came here for a little while and they've decided to, to try to moderate. And the book, the book almost encourages that if you don't think you are. Step over to the nearest 
uh, bar room and try some controlled drinking. Try to drink and stop abruptly. Try it more than once. It, it will not take long for you to de decide if you're honest with yourself about it. It may be worth a bad case of jitters if you get a full knowledge of your condition. You know, um, we're in the, one of the other meetings, we just were in a doctor's opinion. It's on page XXX. And this book says entire abstinence. And you know, uh, it's almost like not the full message that we're given in the rooms anymore. You know, I had a sponsee who basically said to me, uh, uh, I'm going to go back to AA because there I don't, I can keep smoking weed, but if I keep going to BBA, it's entire abstinence. Yeah. And so, you know, in, in the book talks, and it just said something about men of science, maybe they can give us something. Here's the thing. We also live in a, there are pharmaceuticals out there that want to have you hooked on their product. And their product is going to kill you slowly. It's going, to, it's going to just destroy your organs. And so the news here is a new freedom and a new happiness. And so it's not that we don't want you to have medicine that may help. It's just some of this medicine is just, an, it's just another drug, you know? And um, today I am a recovered alcoholic. And what that means is that I no longer suffer you know, from this hopelessness. And at the same time, I'm not putting any other substance in my body to help me stay off. And what's really hard change, what's really changed is my identity. And what I mean by that is today I'm a person who doesn't drink. I am not holding on to some idea that maybe, I just had a sponsee that relapsed not too long ago, that maybe I look forward to be able to, Enjoy a drink when my son graduates. Their son is four or five. We worked together for less than a year and they relapsed. And I just found out that yesterday they were on their way to some treatment center up in towards Big Bear or something because it got really bad. They were in the darkness. And, you know, and, and I tried to talk to them because we've seen it. If you have some loophole, if my mom dies, I'll drink again. If I lose my job, I'll drink again. If my wife leaves me, I drink again. They're going to drink again. You've already given yourself some, you know, in your agreement, you've put some clause that allows you to drink again. And, you know, uh, it, you know, wherever you start is where you start, but at some point you're going to have to make that decision for yourself. Do I want to become a recovered alcoholic? Do I want to be a person who doesn't drink anymore? And, uh, I, dude, I went through it. It's not easy at first to the people around you, your family, your old drinking buddies to say, uh, when they offer you some, I'm good, or I don't drink anymore, or just straight up, I'm allergic. I'm allergic because, and they know it. When I put that stuff in my system, we don't know what's going to happen, Right? That's how I was, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Um, I'll keep reading. Oh, okay. Though there is no way of proving it, we believe, yeah, I found my way, that there, early in our drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. But the difficulty is that few alcoholics have enough desire 
to stop while there is yet time. No way. I, I was having a really good time. I did. I have so many great memories, including where I'm messed up, including where I've pissed on myself, including where I've you know, landed in jail or, or I've been thrown out of that restaurant or that bar. There was no way I wanted to stop. Because you know, uh, because that's what normal looked like for me, including all the crazy fights. Like I was just that crazy drinker that you had in your circle, and if I was there, I was like an amplifier, and you knew the party was going to go to another level because I was going to spend everything I had that night, you know, uh, to make it memorable. <laughs> so, anyways, let's keep going. Yeah. Okay. We have heard of a few instances where people who showed definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of an overpowering desire to do so. Here is one. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of a spree drinking. He was nearly nervous in the morning after the bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business. This was me, um, but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all, for sure. That, that was me too. I would, but then I would celebrate because I put in a few hours of work. I work for myself and, I, and the reason I've self-employed for over 20 years is because I couldn't hold on to a job. Because <laughs> I was an emotional wreck, plus I was you know, hung over and I had all these issues. Once he started, he had no control whatsoever. He made up his mind, this was me, that until he had been successful, and that's not me, right? been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. This was definitely not me. I did not make that vow. An exceptional man, he re remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55. And after a successful, happy business career, then he fell victim to a belief which is practically every alcoholic has that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. You don't deserve anything. We don't. Like, if you've, if you've gone through these steps and you've had this miracle, we are on borrowed time because I know I should be dead. Thank you. I know I should be dead. I've smashed three cars. You know, like, I've got, I should be dead. So, uh, you know, early in my recovery, I made the decision that I wanted to die sober after hearing some other man testify about his father who died with 25 years of sobriety. And it was that moment that I was like, I want that. And I also knew I need God's help to get there. Um, outside of like building my business, having my family and the material stuff, that was like the first time I actually wanted something that's, that's not material, that I had no idea what it really means because I didn't really know what this whole spiritual thing is. Um, but it's the real treasure. I know that now. Um, once out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. And you know, it was, as I was reading this earlier, just a few minutes ago before everyone got here, that I was reminded about my brother, who's not my, my brother in recovery, who's on his, who's today 
you know, at some treatment center, you know, he, he thought that maybe he could have a drink. He was hoping maybe he could have a drink when his son graduates. And he, you know, he didn't even put enough, you know, more than a year. In two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy, was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. And again, this goes back to hard truths, hard words. If you're the real deal, there, there, there is no making a, a good drinker of you. It's just not, no matter how long you've got in recovery, sobriety. Though a robust, robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed if we, had, if we remained sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But, how, but here is a man who at 55 years found he was just where he had left off at 30. And you know, the meetings that I first went to when I first got here drilled this in. They repeated this over and over. This is a progressive disease. When you stop and if you pick up again, you're just gonna pick up where you left off. And I believe these men and women and I still believe it now. Now, because I've seen it in the people who have relapsed in these very same rooms and not all of them make it back. Um, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Again, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we're in a short time as bad as, as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. And again, this just reminds me of the mental obsession, right? At first, I'm, my obsession is on controlling it and enjoying it. And now if I'm in these rooms, in my recovery, I have to smash any, as it says, any obsession that maybe 30 years from now, maybe 20 years from now, maybe when my kids graduate. Um, young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think that he can stop as he did on their own willpower. We doubt if we doubt if, in, if many of them can do it because none will really want to stop and hardly one of them because of the particular mental twist already acquired. Man, I had this, right? And um, this is why, you know, in these rooms you, you hear, we don't have a drinking problem, we have a thinking problem. And it's so true. Uh, that's why this insanity, right? What do you mean that my, a higher power will restore me to insanity? It's like, not until I get here can I... That's why it's called an awakening. I can now see for the first time how crazy my thinking and mentally twisted it is that my best thinking when I was drinking was, if I can just not sink any deeper in this dark abyss, that would be a good day. But the, but the promise of these 12 steps is God is going to pull you out and give you a fresh start on promised soil where you can, time's up. And so uh, we left off at young people may be encouraged. Thank you for letting me share.
Keith alcoholic. <clears throat> Good topic tonight. Um, I uh, get with my friends. I'm going to drink with my friends when they when they call. I got a call, and I was in North Carolina, <clears throat> and a lot of friends were going to a dive trip in the Florida Keys. So I drove down, brought my kayak and my stand-up paddleboard, and. They brought two handles of whiskey, five handles of vodka, 10 cases of Budweiser, and two cases of some other kind of beer that just split your head down the middle, but which is worse than Budweiser. I'm allergic to Budweiser, I don't know what it is. But I, uh, I sat there with them, watching these guys just get annihilated. I had a little bit of sobriety in me, and I started drinking with them because it just became second nature. I. Um, I sat there and I watched a friend of mine, Chip, who was, he dove with us, but he was 50 pounds overweight and probably 70 pounds over what he should have been diving at. But uh, when he went to bed, he took out this little pillow and he blew it up and it was a round, long pillow and he put it underneath his legs. And then he put his CPAP machine, this gigantic, looked like aqua lung over his head. He took 30 different kinds of medicine and it proceeded to lay down on this couch and it forced oxygen in him and he literally made these moves when he was breathing. <clears throat> and two of, two of us went and got some lawn chairs and came in and sat down next to him and watched him for a better part of 15, 20 minutes. And I said, I'm not gonna do this. I'm not going out like this. And I walked out to my truck and I drove back to North Carolina at midnight. And uh, I broke up with my girlfriend, who I've been dating for five years. Her daughter was playing for the Tar Heels volleyball. I traveled all up and down the eastern seaboard. I just didn't want to do anymore. I found 55 little bottles of uh, vodka under her seat when I was detailing her car one day. Um, and that was just what she had had for the month. So I, I, I was caught up in this same thing with the friends. You know, I'm going to go back with my friends, and your friends pull you into to this horrible disease again because it comes second nature because that's the way we were raised. So I moved to Buffalo. I worked in Buffalo, Syracuse during one winter. I think everyone from California can only handle one winter up there. The only reason I didn't move sooner was I didn't have any way to move. Uh, I moved to Nashville. I was there one year, survived Nashville. They have four gyms and 470 bars. It's not a conducive environment for sobriety in uh, Nashville. Um, the businessman, if we were businessmen, would have said, let's open some gyms. <laughs> and you'd have made a fortune. Uh, I came back, uh, had two years sober. Um, group of friends said, hey, let's go to Murrieta's. We're going to get together. So-and-so is going to have an operation. So-and-so's back in town, yada, yada, yada. I went there, I sat down, we talked, we laughed, we told stories, and a round got set down in front of us, and it was second nature for me, and I just reached up and grabbed the Pacifico. So in eight years, I've had one sip of beer, but I, it's an honest program. I had to face myself in the mirror, and so I reset my date after two years with one swig of Pacifico, because as many of us have said, Hang out in enough barbershops, you're going to get cut. So I don't go hang out in bars with friends anymore because I found out the friends just wanted me to go back to that old way. They loved it when I bought. They loved it when I dicked out more than them because they felt better about themselves because, well, at least I wasn't Keith. 
I had somebody the other night say at a meeting, all my friends are still out there, so I reach out to them. And I found out that when I called those old friends and said, hey, I broke down, I got a tire. Hey, I'm having a rough night. They're like, hey, fuck you. See you at the bar. But the people inside these rooms are my friends. I can call up Oliver and say, hey, I'm having a hard night. You know what he's going to do? He's going to get in his car and come find me if I can't get to him. Because you got to reset your reset. Your reset, they say when you get sober, you go back to the time before you started partying. Many of us in our teenage years. And you resent back to that, that person, that child that was just happy-go-lucky and didn't know what the hell he was doing. But we have to be more accountable at the ages we are now. So I did my 10th and 11th step with one of my sponsees at uh, Lake Henshaw. And uh, we went up on top of the overlook. It, you know, as he puts it, the eagles were flying, the deers were running around, and I think it was a turkey vulture, but he said he was crying so much he, didn't, he couldn't see what the bird was. But when we get up and read 84 through 88 in the morning now, we can reset it to that day, because that's when we read 84 to 88 up there on top of that mountain. So when I get up every morning and I read that, I'm brought back up to that mountain. My name's Keith, I'll take another 24. All right. How's it going everybody? My name is Jesus, I'm a drug addict. Well, um, man, that's a, that's a really interesting topic. You know, I was just reading it right now all over again. And um, what, really, what really sticks to me is that uh, I didn't want to feel any different from anybody that, that, um, that I was consuming with, you know? Uh, like, m the age that I started consuming at, it was like, oh, well, everybody's doing it, you know? Like, everybody's experimenting, you know? It's not an issue for me, you know? Like, but it was a huge issue for me, you know? It was like I couldn't stop at all to save my own life, you know? Um, and I don't know, like, I feel like, well, the generation that I'm in, you know, it's like your 20s, you fucking figure it out, you know what I mean? Like, you figure it out in your 20s, you know? Some of my friends have their shit figured out, you know? Some of my old friends that actually went down the right way, you know? One of them's a cop, he has, he's got married, he has his own house, you know? And I was like, damn, you know? And then the other one, he has his own ranch, wife, two kids. I was like, damn. You know, and um, me, like, in high school for how much I tried to fake it, you know what I mean? And, and I did it with a decent job, you know. I had good grades. They, they um, you know how they do the yearbook thing? They put me most likely to be successful. Nigga. Like, <laughs> if they only knew I was homeless for I don't know how many years, you know what I mean? Like, if they only knew, you know. But um, they say that the... The path to success is a bunch of failures in between, you know? There's a lot of failures before your success, you know? And the success that I have right now is thanks to the many failures that I had in my road to recovery, you know? And I'm still learning, you know? I still fuck up. I'm not saying, like, oh, I'm the person. That, no, I, I know I'm not, and I have to get myself out of that mentality because then that that's what's gonna end up killing me 
you know, myself, my thoughts, like, oh, I'm here now, you know, like, don't worry about it. You're chilling, you know. And the prayer, I, like the prayer that we just did right now, I never heard it before, you know. And I liked it. I loved it because it's like everything that I know about this program, everything that I think I know about this program can kill me because I don't know shit. When I came in here, I remember going to rehab and they taught me everything I know up to this point, you know. And I'm definitely glad because when I went into the rooms when I was 18 years old, no one told me shit about how it worked, you know. And I'm so thankful that I had people that were willing to deal with me and tell me how things were and tell me how I was acting because man, it was tough. I was a tough case, you know. I was like rebellious still, you know. And I'm just so thankful that everything led up to this moment where I'm at right now, you know. Um, it's amazing what God does for us and for me, myself, you know, because I wasn't able to stay sober for two, two, two hours, 30 minutes. Like, I wasn't able to, you know, I'd always have a joint rolled up. I'd always have everything made sure, like, every dose, like, was right there next to me, you know. I had a go bag, you know, like, just bam. You know, I had one bag that I would sell and then one bag for myself, you know. And, and now I don't, I don't need any of that now, you know. The, the things that I carry in my bag now are my portable charger, my phone, my fucking wallet, you know. And I'm thankful because those are the, really the only things that I need in there, you know. And the cigarettes occasionally if I want them, you know. But, you know, like, I don't need to be wasting any more time than I already have. Because the one thing that, um, uh, I don't know if you guys read as Bill sees it like that, you know, but there's this one capsule in there that I want to finish this up with, you know. And it's amazing because the price that we paid to get to our sobriety is not only time, money, it's spiritual deprivation. It's like mental sanity, you know, it's, it's, it's everything that you felt shitty about, you know, while you were using, like, man, like this really got me down, you know, I'm letting myself down right now. And um, is that is that enough? You know, I died three times already, you know, I don't want to pay another price because the next price that I pay might be my last, you know. So I think that my recovery right now is worth every single thing that I went through. And that's why I, I value it so much and I hold on to it because of all the pain that I paid. Because that's what you're, pay, that's what you're paying with pain, you know. So um, I'm just really grateful to be here. Thank you for the, for the bonfire. It was amazing. You know, I got really spiritual over there. It was amazing. And um, I hope that... Uh, Eventually, we could have uh, more, like, more outings like this, you know, and, and I hope to get to know you guys better as I come along each Monday. Thank you for letting me share. Sal, alcoholic. Sal Squatch. <laughs> uh, thank you, Luis, for your, for your lead, and Keith for your share, Jesus for your share. That was, that was a good, good share.
Um, you know, I, I was, I'm reading uh, a book called uh, How to Listen to God. And uh, it's by Wally Payton. Wally Payton. There you go, yeah. By Wally Payton, and he's interviewing a guy uh, who worked with, he's from the Oxford group, but he, he knew Bill Wilson. And, uh, you know, I, I've heard at other meetings, you know, the, the quiet time. They, you know, some people refer to it as quiet time. We refer to it as prayer and meditation. And, uh, you know, a lot of thought and effort, they sit there and say that God speaks to you while you're in your quiet time of prayer and meditation. And it's things that pop up, like Luis mentioned, you know, when, when you were meditating right now, it was hard, you know, that, that word came up. And I sat, when I first got here, and I was wondering, they're meditating? What, what, what the hell is going on here? You know, and I've meditated before, but I'm like, I never thought about the, the peace that it brings you when you sit here for seven minutes, five minutes, depending on what meeting you go to, and, and it relieves the stress of out there, and it brings you into yourself here. Um, and as uh, Keith said, you know, there's some people here who still, their friends are still out there drinking, smoking, whatever. I am the only person in my friend group who doesn't drink anymore. And... Uh, we were at a function a few weeks ago and actually it was my son's 18th birthday and we invited some friends over and, you know, there was drinking going on, but, you know, I didn't participate. You know, I just had my stogie and was sitting there listening to all the, the stories about these bars and stuff that, you know, these guys and my friends are going to. And one thing that stuck out to me with my friend that I grew up with my friend, uh, my parents grew up in Sicily, in the same town as his parents, and we grew up together. So he was talking about this bar that uh, that's just a whiskey bar, and I guess the menu is like almost like the the big book. It's thick, and it's nothing but whiskeys, different whiskeys. He's like, you know, he's looked at me. He's like, you have been there? He's like, oh wait, you, no. And he goes back to our other friend talking. I'm all, you know, I don't mind. You know, go. You know, going and listening to what you guys are talking about. I mean, I just don't drink. I'm not drinking anymore. I'm done. You know, so I like to listen to. You know, whiskey was my was my poison of choice, and I said, just because I don't drink doesn't mean I can't be included in the conversation. I'm just going to listen to what you guys are talking about while I'm puffing on my cigar. You know, that's my way of getting out of it. But it's funny because they don't see what we see, you know? They don't see the path. And, then, and, and, you know, looking back every weekend, they're Friday through Sunday, sometimes Thursday, just getting annihilated, you know? I'm like, dude, we're, we're, pushing, we're pushing 50 years old, man, you know? That was back when we, were, when we were a lot younger, you know? Now it's just, I like being able to wake up in the morning, make my cup of joe, you know, watch some football now that it's the end of football season, um, and just get caught up on on life. Now I just meditate, that meditation, that 
quiet time, just sit and listen to God, what he's going to, what he tells me to do. And I found in that book that writing down what I hear being, being spoke to me. And it's like, some people are saying, oh, that's your conscience talking to you. No, it's, it's direct. In order to have that clear, concise communication with God, you have to go about the steps the right way. And so much of what the Oxford group did has been brought into what we do here in, in the BBA. And it's, it's amazing because we end our meeting in Lord's Prayer. You know, same thing. You're just looking at that. But it's your conscience talking to you. But I don't get that. It's God talking to me and what I get out of my conversation. So I write it down and I've been doing it for about a week now. And it's amazing. I sit there and I look back every week and look back. I mean, I look at it daily, but I look at it every week. I'm like, wow, these thoughts. Now, where did I go? What have I done to improve myself or to improve someone else's life to help out? It goes a long way. And it's just a matter of just reaching out and touching someone. One of the guys that was in that conversation with me about the the whiskey bar was, said, you know what? He's like, I might be alcoholic. And I said, well, maybe you should come with me to one of these meetings and see if you truly are and go from there. So he hasn't committed yet, but at least I got a, something in that brain of his. So thank you. Uh, I'm David and I'm an alcoholic. And thank you, Louis, for your share. I mean, every time uh, I can identify with that, with uh, everything regarding this book. You know, I was one of those alcoholics, or I am one of those alcoholics, but I have all that excuses you were talking about. I even moved geographically, you know, from New Jersey to Pennsylvania, from Pennsylvania to Mexico, to Mexico to San Diego, and nothing happened, you know? Why? Because I didn't accept that I was sick, that I was ill. That, uh, you know, I can control my, uh, my thinking. And that I have this uh, disease, the, the physical craving, you know, that when I touch one, I can't stop. You know, and... Uh, but it's so hard to believe that stuff, you know? You know, an alcoholic like me is a stubborn son of a bitch, you know? You, he almost kills you and uh, you continue drinking, no matter what. You know, so I never understood this disease until I did the BBA, thank God. You know, you were talking about that, uh, you know, when you stop drinking for a while and when you pick up again, it's like, it was yesterday that you drink. You know, so, so that, that's, uh, you know, for me, I, I was sober. I quit drinking for a long period of time. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, for nine years. You know, and those, in those nine years, I saved a, a joint, a cutting joint. You know, I have a locker, you know, with the place that I used to work, and I used to go and make love to the cutting joint all the, every day. I used to go and look at it and go, look at it and look at it. Nine years after, I smelled this stupid son of a bitch because I was dating a 
this girl that said, look, you know, let's get stoned. Well, if, uh, if you said so, so let's get stoned. And from that day on, it was another six years, and they almost killed me. Stop, you know, can't stop drinking. After that day, you know, you stop for a little period of time, you know, don't get me wrong. And you think you made it again. But it just never leaves your mind. It never left my mind. It's always in my mind, like William Nelson said. It's always in my mind. Always. It kills you. You don't think of nothing else, but, you know, one day you're going to drink again. So I drink again for six years, you know, and I al he almost killed me. You know, I could not work, I could not operate, I can, I, I can do nothing by focusing on alcohol day and night. So my, my, my wife was pregnant, and she almost got a miscarriage because she was uh, this, this difficult uh, um, uh, pregnancy. You know, she can not uh, even go down the stairs. And I used to bring people all drunk in the house, you know, and make uh, uh, scenes and, and, and sing and dance and crazy, you know, uh, 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 stuff that, you know, and, and, and my wife upstairs, you know, just dealing with, with me, you know. So, so finally I, I quit drinking again for another 13 years, you know, and I pick up again. You know, and then uh, the same thing that it happens, you know, but when God doesn't want you to go, you don't go. You know, you are over here for a purpose, here to be, to be talking to you right now. You know, I have, we have, I have, I, I just, uh, you know, we're doing a, this BBA in, in Spanish. And I have a friend in a, the other group that uh, he drank cyanide to kill himself, you know, because he cannot cope up with his mind. And the son of a bitch didn't die. Because God didn't want him to die. He, he wanted want him to tell us what the hell he did. So today in my, in my, in my section, there is two girls that drank a, 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 a rat poison to kill themselves. And they're still alive. With consequences. You know? And they into this BBA program and now they're living again. Why? Because they found God in this program. You know, they tell you, BBA tell you that, you know, you're going to have this, this spiritual experience if you, do the, if you do the 12 steps correctly, you know. And let me tell you, it works. It saved my life every day. I live comfortable every day. I don't worry that much every single day. I have a friend of mine. It's always with me. Always. Every single day. And you get used to it. You know, it makes it a believer of you because you see that you can live well if you, if you just listen. I, I, okay. So, so this is the, the magic of this program. You're going to find a spiritual experience, you know, and then you're going to find out that you can live better. You know, the, the disease is going to be there, but you, 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 will, you definitely know, you know, what is the medicine that you need. Thank you. Mary alcoholic. Oh, I love it. Help me set aside everything I think I know. Um, going through the BBA once again, uh, this time leading for the first time in person, but I'm also translating and um, doing the work and reading it over. And wow, 
it's like, you know, having this new experience uh, with, um, with my disease, you know. Um, it's got me to the point where I'm just like, wow, you know, I'm the real deal. <laughs> you know, I see it again, and it's like, I am the real deal. You know, and I like, thank you again for the more about alcoholism. Um, you know, when you read, you know, um, we are like men who lost their legs. We never grow new ones. Well, there was a, a guy that we knew who came in the program, and um, he had no legs. He, was, he had prosthetics. And uh, he was like, the, he's the fastest runner. He was going into the Olympics, and he was disqualified um, because of his drinking. They, you know, tested him. So he would read that, and we would just all laugh, you know. Um, but uh, I bring that up because, you know, unfortunately, his, um, his agent did not want him to be an Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. And um, just recently I saw him um, trying to do some ads or something, and he didn't look good, you know. And it was sad. He's a really, really good guy, you know, really good guy. He didn't look good. But uh, that's just, you know, this disease, it's um, really something because, you know, when you talked about, um, you know, all the different ways that we try to stop, um, yeah, about probably, you know, most of them I tried, you know, and, um, you know, I just wanted that, that, uh, that feeling of ease and comfort, you know, um, and I didn't get it. If I got it, I didn't find it in the bottle. It was very temporary. Um, but uh, the ease and comfort that I get now is from, you know, my higher power, doing that meditation and prayer, you know? And I learned that here in Alcoholics Anonymous. I learned that here. And it's like, you know, gosh, you know, what a trip. It's like, I don't need a drug. You know, I wake up and, you know, I connect myself first. You know, I have some set disciplines, you know, um, we're undisciplined completely. And, um, and it works the majority of the time. It doesn't work all the time because we're not going to be inspired all the time, right? The book says that we're not going to be inspired. And, uh, and I understand that. Um, and when I'm not, I get that inspiration in other ways. You know, I'm really fortunate that, you know, I have a home group um, and that, um, you know, if something's going on that I can count on, you know, calling somebody, calling my sponsor and uh, calling somebody in the group um, to help me get right-sized again. Um, a lot of it has to do with, you know, um, maybe some things, some blocks that I have. You know, you mentioned, Sal, about... Um, you know, the book, How to Listen to God. Um, and uh, Wally, um, he's, a, he's a great guy. You know, really great guy. And he's got some really good stuff with step, our Step 11. Um, and I practice that every Monday, you know. And um, we do the writing. You know, that's the connection. And I carry it around with me. You know, and I look for the instructions, you know. So it's amazing what I learned here in this program on how to 
not only stay sober, because if they had a pill, I wouldn't take it. I would not want it. Because not, not a pill or anything can really um, help you with all of the character defects or the... Um, or when you're walking through life and you can't handle a situation, you know, it's like there's no pill that can do that for you, you know. Um, but I found that no human power can um, help me. Um, and I know that God is in these rooms. He's in these rooms with you people. He speaks through you. Um, you can call him creator of the universe, whatever you want to call him, you know. Um, but he speaks through you to me. And um, that's where my ease and comfort comes from today. Um, and I'm really, really happy to be a part of this program. So grateful to each and every one of you. Um, yeah, this has really, really been an amazing journey, again, doing the BBA and doing it this way. And I really thank you for the opportunity to be able to do this again. All right, and... Um, God bless. God bless you all. My name is Oliver and I'm an alcoholic. Thank you, Luis, for your share. And, um, you know, I'm going through the steps with a group of guys. And, um, but I'm just doing the homework and I'm just doing the questions. I'm not doing the, the whole workshop, just the questions of the, of the guide. And, 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 you know, every time I go through it, man, it's, it makes me really uncomfortable. And it makes me really uncomfortable because I have to ask myself the tough questions again, you know? Am I truly an alcoholic? Or what the hell am I doing here, right? And you know, my, my relapse was with pills, with drugs. I haven't had a drink in 30 some years, in a long time, man. So for me to go back there and remember what booze did to me, I, I have to really think hard about it. And I can remember that when I started drinking, I couldn't stop, you know? The same thing happened to me with drugs. I mean, I was a drug addict, an everyday user. I never, I don't understand the drug addicts that, that did it only on the weekends. I mean, I was, I woke up, I took my first pill and I went to bed with my last pill, but that was for years and years and years and years. So it's, 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 it's very important for me to understand that I have a problem because if I don't have a problem, why do I need the solution for? You know, reservations, Luis was talking about reservations, man. And, 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 and you know, the ego of, of the alcoholic of, of, of some of us is very, very strong. My ego was very, very strong. I came here in AA and, and, uh, a long time ago when I was 22 years old, man. I mean, I hear the young kids, man, and I love it. I hope you guys stay. And, uh, and I thought that, that, that I needed to experience a little bit more, and I did. And I did. I used to come to meetings and hear your... Your shares, man, I was going, man, that's, no wonder these guys are a bunch of losers, man. Just, just complain about their life all day long. I mean, they haven't found a solution, so screw them. And I left the meeting, man. I couldn't go there and just hear all the shit that I hear every day. I said, fuck, man, why do I need this in my life? If I am making money, I am married, I have all these good things happening in my life, fuck these guys, man. So I left. And after a little bit, man, I, I thought that appeal was a good idea and... and, and even though I knew there were amphetamines, and I asked the doctor, are these drugs? Oh, no, no, they're unnatural. <laughs> Bullshit. I did a, 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 a test, a pissing, a, 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 I had to do a, a urine test for, I like to hunt, so in order for you to carry weapons in Mexico, you have to go and, and get tested for drugs. And 
and I saw amphetamines. And I was like, shit. You know what I did? I had a friend of mine that was sober, and I asked him to pee in a cup so I could pass the test. I kept on going to meetings, though. I continued to be a sponsor and continued to be a speaker. I continued to take chips. I took chips. I, I took chips. I mean, I have a 30-year-old chip. You know? How important it is to stop lying to yourself, man. How important it is to, to know that I am sick, that I have a disease that has absolutely nothing to do with my ego or the way that I think or the way that I feel or the way that I nothing. Man, when I take a drink, the drink takes me. When I take a drug, the drug takes me and there's nothing I can do to fix that. But oh, how difficult it is, man. My mind is powerful and I can fool myself every day. So, I mean, this is so important for me, man, to see who, who and who I am and what it is that I have. It has nothing to do with my character. It has nothing to do with my thinking. It has to do with my body, man. What happens to me when I take that first drink? What happens to me when I take that first drug? You know, I've been working with guys in, for, for a long time. Thank God, man, because that keeps me alive. I work with you so I can be alive. That's, that's why I serve. It's just the honest truth. And the more I can serve, the better I feel. And it's so common on, on everybody, man. People, we all have reservations. And this thing won't work for me until this is my all, my everything. We're like people that have, to, have lost their legs. If I still think I can run on my own, man, I, I'll fall. I mean, this is how serious AA is. I cannot have any reservations because then my solution is going to be half-ass. Mm -hmm. Then I would only give God just certain things in my life, right? I still think that I can manage most of my life. Just a drinking thing I will give up to God. And then nothing works, man. You're miserable. Well, I'm miserable. So oh, how important it is to know that I have absolutely no power over this disease because that's what it is. And the minute that I think that I have, my life turns upside down. And that goes to everything in my life today. It's not only alcohol. My job, my relationship, my kids, my friends, my sponsees, my sponsor. You know, I have no control over anything. And if I can live in acceptance like that, my life is pretty good, man. It's smooth. You know, live, living in God's time is so peaceful, man. It's so... I mean, I was listening to the water right now, man. And I was... Isn't that... Nice, you know. Thank you. My name is Oliver. I'm not called. Thank you. Hi, I'm Kristen. I'm an alcoholic. This is my first time at this particular meeting, so thank you for having it and sharing, everybody. Um, you know, it it says that science can one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. But I would di disagree with that because I've taken several pills that um, are supposed to help you not drink. Antabuse is one of them. Um, naltrexone, which actually helped me stay sober for a year and a half. Um, I, the only reason I stopped taking that was because um, I had to have surgery in July, so I haven't had it since July. But neither of those pills like Mary said, cure our spiritual malady. And essentially, that's what our, our disease is, is a spiritual malady. Um, I used to go to church and go up to the altar and try to be delivered 
you know, and try to try to just get rid of everything that was bothering me and to clear my head and just have God take it away or whatever. But that was more of a a religious thing or something. I don't know. I, I, I've never felt the Spirit of God like I have since I've entered these rooms. And um, the relationship that I've formed with Him is is unbelievable. Like I I can hear Him when I pay attention and listen for him. And um, like even as simple as, God, direct my path. Which way, to, which way on the freeway do I need to go? And I'll just be quiet and, you know, something tell me I need to go this way or that way. And if I go the wrong way, something will happen. So this, I, I swear to goodness that, that that's the truth because even just like a month ago, a couple months ago, um, Something was telling me to go up the 15, and I went up the 805 instead. Sure as shit, didn't I get a speeding ticket? Um, but had I gone the other way, cop probably wouldn't have been sitting right there. Maybe it would have. I don't know. But either way, um, another time, like God was telling me not to do something, telling me not to do something, and I didn't listen. I intentionally did not listen, and I got scammed out of five grand like literally just a few weeks ago and I'm now I'm still paying for it and it's just like what in the entire fuck like I literally I knew better and I was like god what was I thinking and and everything in my life when I'm not listening to god or my higher power um goes to shit like if I'm not paying attention to what he's telling me to do and um one time I used Anabuse several years before I really came into the into the rooms and I was trying to self-medicate on Anabuse. I went to Mexico and got it because you have to have a prescription for Anabuse. And um, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to quit drinking on my own. So I was taking Anabuse, but oh, let's just see what happens. Let's just see if it really works, you know. I blacked out on the way home from L.A. because I was drinking while I was on Anabuse. And by the grace of God and an angel on my shoulder, that was the only way I made it home. Because I literally, I, I don't remember driving half that, half that stretch from LA to San Diego. And when I woke up that next morning, I felt like a shotgun had blown off in my head. Like, my head was pounding, was excruciating. And that, it, you know, that was enough to get me to, I cried for two days. I was, I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe you saved me again. You know, like, I, I cried out to God. But even that wasn't enough to keep me from drinking. Like, I really, so I, I got into outpatient program from there. And um, I went to an outpatient program and managed to stay sober for like 82 days. And then um, went back out a couple months later, got a DUI, you know, and on and on and on. And it wasn't until um, two years ago when I checked myself into rehab and, and really learned about alcoholism and the disease and um, just the fact that I needed to heal from the inside out. 
and that I needed to stop stuffing all of my emotions and trying to I was in fear of everything because I was fucking everything and running you know like I literally wanted to just get away from everything my feelings people life um And I learned in rehab that I had to stop trying to pour from an empty, an empty pitcher. I have to take care of myself before I can take care of everybody else. We see on liquor stores wine and spirits. And I really do believe that, that alcohol, when, when you consume it, comes with demonic spirits. And I don't know what people believe as far as that's concerned, but... For me, myself, I, I feel a spiritual void. I literally feel a spiritual void when I'm drinking. I, it's like this emptiness and darkness that it's, it's miserable. It's like all of the images that, that you see of, of hell or read about or whatever, weeping and gnashing of the teeth and oh my God, it's just unbelievable. And I lived like that for a long time, like 12, 13 years, on and off. I'm so glad that I, um, I'm becoming like the people I surround myself with and I surround myself with the people in these rooms because I know that um, being around people that drink and use and do all this other, sh what is that gonna do for me other than lead me down the dark hole again? Um, I'm so blessed that my best friend has been coming to meetings with me just to support me and to um, love on me and show me that she cares. It means a lot. So, yeah. Glad to be here. Glad to be sober. Thanks for letting me share. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe at eastlakebba.com. You can also help us reach others by spreading the word about our podcast. Thank you for joining us today on the East Lake Big Book Awakening Podcast.